Welcome to the 18 Inches Podcast, where you will discover that the 18-inch journey from your head to your heart is the secret to living your best life. We cover a wide range of topics, all designed to help you become the person you are meant to be. Here is your host, therapist and high-performance coach, Brad O'Neill. Hi, thanks for listening in. In this episode, we are going to be discussing imposter syndrome. This is a topic that is receiving a lot of attention and press in recent years. But the syndrome itself is not new. It has been around for, well, likely forever. It just has a name now. To be honest, the name it has or that has become popularized may not be completely accurate. Calling it a syndrome implies some type of clinical acceptance of a disorder. What is most often called imposter syndrome is more accurately known as imposter phenomenon or IP. This term was coined in the late 70s. You can look at definitions of syndrome until your eyes glaze over and argue either for syndrome or against it, but I'm going to call it imposter syndrome because it's acceptable, more familiar, easier to spell, and much easier to say than phenomenon. Do you suffer from imposter syndrome? Do people who know you consider you confident and competent, but deep down inside you don't feel that way? When you see people you look up to and respect, Do you wonder how it is they are so confident and accomplished? Do you wish you could be like them? You may feel that way about your work, your parenting, your intelligence, your ability to speak to others, or any other number of areas of your life. Do you have thoughts like, if they knew who I really am and how I feel inside, they wouldn't like me, respect me, or want to hang around with me? Have you ever walked into a party, presentation, or boardroom and felt a sense of intimidation or felt like you don't belong there? Can this even happen if you have never met the people or know what their qualifications and accomplishments are? I ask that last question because people who suffer from imposter syndrome will feel like imposters even in groups where they know little or nothing about the group they are with. They may be in a room with people who have less intelligence or accomplishments and feel less than even before they even understand the makeup of the group. Just the venue, such as a boardroom or a party where people are dressed in expensive clothes or wearing expensive jewelry, may be enough to bring up intense feelings of being out of place. Let's take a closer look at imposter syndrome, identifying it, its causes, and how you can overcome it. Interestingly, some research indicates that as much as 70% of the population feel like imposters at least some of the time. Surprisingly, the phenomenon occurs frequently in people who are high achievers. These people can feel like fakes despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Now, imposter syndrome is more than just a garden variety insecurity 
and a tendency to dwell on the negative. Underpinning the insecurity and dwelling on the negative is a fear that somebody will find out they are imposters. It can be difficult to identify imposter syndrome in another person. In my practice as a therapist, I will listen for the following clues. Those who struggle with feeling like an imposter typically have difficulty accepting compliments or praise even when they perform well or have significant accomplishments. Instead of accepting praise or compliments with a simple thank you, they will often deflect with self-deprecating humor or pay the other person a compliment to divert attention from themselves. This practice can seem like sincere humility, but it is not. It moves attention from the self-identified imposter because they believe too much scrutiny will expose them for who they really are, or more accurately, who they think they are. People who struggle with imposter syndrome will experience discomfort when being praised and have feelings of anxiety and find ways to escape the conversation or situation. Even in the face of evidence and proof of their abilities, such as raises, promotions, awards, or affirmations, they will write it off to luck, charm, good timing, or other factors that have nothing to do with their ability. There are some other outward signs of imposterism. When given a task, some people will put in an extraordinary amount of effort completing the task and then convince themselves that they receive the accolades only because of the unsustainable level of effort they put in. And the other side of that coin is the procrastinator who puts things off so they will have a built-in excuse if they either don't complete the task or complete it haphazardly. Most procrastinators will then finish the project or task on time because they have the necessary ability but will then write it off to good fortune or some other factor outside of their control. Although it is often difficult to identify in others, those who struggle with imposter syndrome know all too well what it feels like and the sense of low self-worth that is its constant companion. What people who have imposter syndrome don't know is the impact it has on those who are closest to them. Fear and doubt, combined with the inability to enjoy achievements and accept compliments, can lead to emotional and physical depletion, sometimes to the point of depression. The effects can also be draining on partners, children, and friends. It can be frustrating to see an accomplished, successful, intelligent loved one have the inability to see in themselves what others see in them and the constant deflection of compliments, praise, and support given by loved ones can create a sense of futility and cause them to give up their efforts to help. Before I jump into the causes of imposter syndrome, I want to clarify the difference between it and an inferiority complex. The differences are subtle and there are many similarities. People who struggle with imposter syndrome feel like they are frauds or misrepresenting their capabilities or importance, and they fear that they will be discovered. 
People with inferiority complex typically do not feel like they are posing as someone or something they aren't. They just have an overarching feeling of not being as good as other people. Both have low self-esteem, but the person who feels like they are an imposter is often accomplished, capable, and articulate, and appears to the outside world like they have it all together. Often seeds of imposterism are sown in childhood. The usual suspects are parents and other family members or friends of the family. However, it can also include teachers, coaches, and religious institutions to name a few possible contributors. Let's look at how some of the underpinnings of imposter syndrome can start. Imagine a child growing up in a family where both parents are highly accomplished and who have received awards in their fields for excellence. Mom and dad talk about how son or daughter will attend the same schools and follow in their footsteps. The parents work hard at ensuring the child is afforded every opportunity and there is a push for academic and or sports excellence. Anything less than an A or A plus may not be outwardly criticized, but the child knows they have failed to live up to expectations. Perfection is the goal. The strive for perfectionism is a prison because there is no such thing as perfection. The child goes on to be accomplished in their field, always striving to be the best, striving for perfection, driven because of their parents. Knowing that anything less than perfection is failure, the praise, compliments, and awards seem like insincere flattery because deep down the adult child feels like the task or project they have completed isn't good enough, or more accurately, they aren't good enough. They feel like a fake, a fraud, an imposter. It is interesting to note that children that are raised in that type of competitive environment strive for perfection in an attempt to avoid feelings of shame for not measuring up. Yet, having the underlying feeling of never achieving the goals either they or their parents have set for them, when receiving praise which should help them feel better about themselves and not feel shame, they still cannot shake the feeling of being an imposter. These feelings can also arise when children are compared to their high-achieving siblings, by parents, teachers, other family members, friends of the family, or coaches. Eleanor Roosevelt wrote, Comparison is the thief of joy. When children are compared unfavorably to their siblings or other students, their self-esteem suffers and they begin to judge themselves. Wherever there is comparison, there is judgment. There is a vast difference between a child looking up to someone as a role model and something to aspire to and being told things like, why aren't you as smart as your brother or sister, or your mom or dad were great athletes, I guess you didn't get their genes. And never in history has there been so many opportunities for comparison or self-judgment. We hear of the lifestyles of the rich and famous, see almost everyone posting their highlight reels of their lives on social media, 
and watch advertising that makes us feel like we are less than if we don't own this or look like that. This can put a person in the position of having to pretend or wear masks so they will appear to fit the mold, never let them see you sweat, and be a good soldier, even if the person is dying inside, consumed with the fear of being found out to be an imposter. Often, religious institutions have high standards for their members' behavior and can even have unrealistic expectations of how people should behave both when at church and when going about their daily lives. When members fall short of the mark in their non-church life and then attend church pretending to be living as the church demands or expects, they often feel like fakes or imposters on Sunday morning. Now, not to be overlooked as an incubator for imposter syndrome is the workplace. It is a place where long hours, perfectionism, and drive are often rewarded. There is competition for promotions and better pay, as well as performance bonuses or awards. Expectations of high performance and excellence are enshrined in mission and vision statements. If someone is struggling to make the grade in these highly competitive environments, it can be seen as a sign of weakness to ask for help or as a career-limiting move. When someone who is struggling internally with their self-imposed performance goals receives raises and awards, they feel like a fraud, feel like they will be found out, and push themselves harder to avoid what seems in their mind to be the inevitable moment they are exposed. How do we overcome imposter syndrome? I apologize, but I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here. I recently read an article that suggested a way to overcome imposter syndrome was to wait it out. I'm sorry, but I find that advice to be short-sighted and irresponsible. The author was saying that as we age, we become more sure of who we are, our capabilities, and less sensitive to negative emotions. And I won't even start on the fact that there are no negative emotions. People who suffer from imposter syndrome most often have deep feelings of shame, not measuring up, or not being good enough. In many cases, these feelings begin in childhood, so have been carried for decades. Pressure cooker workplaces, religious institutions, and societal and peer pressure keep reinforcing those feelings. Feeling like an imposter impacts jobs, relationships, and self-esteem. I don't think waiting it out when there is so much on the line, including self-fulfillment and happiness, is a viable plan. Let me give you an example. I have a highly successful client who is approaching 60. He has felt like an imposter all his life. Now, one would hope waiting it out would be complete by the time somebody reaches that age. It isn't. His imposterism dates back to his childhood and has never been addressed until he recently disclosed it to me. We are now working on reducing it because feelings of shame and not being good enough don't miraculously go away if you wait long enough. 
I will grant that in some people, imposter syndrome is first recognized in early adulthood, and as people self-actualize, the feelings may reduce or disappear. But why not go to work on them as soon as they are recognized, so people don't suffer with it longer than necessary? Most headaches go away on their own too, but when the pain is significant, we take a pain reliever rather than waiting it out. Just how long should a 20-year-old with imposter syndrome wait? Until they are 30? 40? 50? Strategies for overcoming imposter syndrome start with identifying the origins. What factors contributed to the feelings of being an imposter? Did they sprout in early childhood? And who sowed the seeds? Was it parents, teachers, ministers, coaches? If a person can identify when the beginning was, it is possible to put them into context. When we can establish the origins and context around them, especially if they are in childhood, we will see that these feelings are based on the experience and reference points or lenses through which the other people see the world. These are constructs that belong to the people who dump them on us. A construct is a subjective idea or theory based on concepts and are not based on empirical evidence. For example, parents may say, if you become a doctor, everyone will admire you, you will make lots of money and be happy. This is not necessarily true. Finding the origins will help us recognize we didn't develop imposter syndrome on our own. It is a series of messages which we have received overtly or covertly from other people and other information we are exposed to. Understanding the messages and beliefs were put there by other people based on their own beliefs and paradigms help us to first understand they are not our own and then determine if they are currently true or valid for us. If the feelings of imposterism appear in later years, let's say once a person is in a competitive work environment, consider that people with well-developed self-esteem and self-efficacy typically aren't susceptible to imposter syndrome. Self-efficacy is defined as an individual's belief in his or her capacity to act in ways to achieve specific goals. If an individual struggles with self-esteem or self-efficacy, the finger will point back to a breakdown in the nurturing and environmental factors necessary to build them. This can include families, schools, churches, sports teams, or other communities a child is raised in. If imposter syndrome is first recognized in the workplace, it is usually the result of the factors previously mentioned. An extremely competitive workplace can trigger these feelings, which may not have been previously noticed. To reduce the feelings of shame and inadequacy, whether they have been long held or recent, the process is similar. A hallmark of imposter syndrome is the inability to accept praise, rewards, and awards without feeling like a fake, which leads to shame. One of the first and most important things to do 
is to practice simply saying thank you when somebody praises or gives a compliment. Resisting the urge to deflect with humor, feigned humility, or by immediately paying a compliment back provides an opportunity to let the compliment sink in, allow that it is likely sincere, and that you have done something worthy of the praise. If you find it difficult to do this one simple thing and you fight to keep yourself from basking in the moment by filling the silence with words, it is a strong indicator of the importance to practice it. Practice just simply smiling and saying thank you. Also, accept that you have abilities in some areas which are superior to other people and other people will have abilities in areas that you aren't proficient in. This is a fact of life. Once you learn to accept your own gifts and capabilities, you can accept your value and worth to an organization, a situation, or a relationship. Evaluate what you have accomplished. Most people who suffer from imposter syndrome never look at their list of accomplishments because they discount everything. Admit that you suffer from imposter syndrome to supportive people and talk about it. This reduces the hold it has on you and in particular, the shame you feel. You'll be surprised to find out how many people you know feel the same way. You will feel less isolated and alone and have a group of people to help you recognize your value. Now, if work is the only or primary place you experience imposter syndrome, look at the other areas of your life and acknowledge what you're doing well in them. This will strengthen your belief that you are a good person of value and worth. Above all else, avoid comparison. Stay focused on evaluating your own achievements, not those of others. Like perfectionists, people with imposter syndrome put pressure on themselves to perform every task flawlessly, fearing that any mistake will expose them. People make mistakes. When we accept that, we can embrace them as an opportunity for growth and progress. And everybody's a beginner at the start and grows to competence and eventually becoming a master. Here are three takeaways. If you struggle with imposter syndrome, look for its origins. Next, avoid comparing yourself to other people. And talk about it with supportive people because shame does not survive when it is exposed and talked about. Thanks for listening. You can find us at 18inches.ca or on facebook.com forward slash 18 inches. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until then, stay on the journey to becoming the person you are meant to be.